Fantastic. Um, we, we are approaching very, very quickly uh, Thanksgiving. Wow. Is it just me? Where did this come from? Uh, very, very quick this year. Um, I'll tell you a couple things I'm thankful for. Number one, I am really thankful to, to this church uh, for something you guys did recently. Uh, we, we had a kind of an on-the-spot love offering for the Bahamas. You remember the hurricane relief, and we took up a couple of special offerings. Y'all raised almost $3,500 to help those churches and those communities in the Bahamas after that big hurricane. And I just want to say thank you. It's really wonderful of you. See, we always cheer a little less when it's for ourselves. That's humility, but wonderful. Um, Another thing I'm very thankful for is uh, to be standing before you today. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I'd heard that a bunch of people were sick. So I was hearing about, you know, stomach flus and family colds and all this stuff, and I was thinking to myself, Steve, I can't remember the last time you've been sick. It's just your immune system is, is a wonder of nature. So I'm thinking of all this. And in this last week, I got pink eye, strep throat, and the stomach flu. So this is the first time I've been up. So if I break into a cold sweat or, you know, whatever, uh, Jane's got a remote control tied to me. So if I expend too much energy, she's just going to dial me down, okay? But I'm very thankful to be here. Um, Let's pray together. Father, we adore you today, God, and everything that we've sung in worship, everything that we've prayed. Um, God, these are not religious exercises. Um, Father, we are are simply so thankful for who you are. And Lord, today, I I really do, even though I get a little tongue-in-cheek, I I am very thankful uh, for health today and that you are our healer. And I just think about Kathy Doherty, who's recovering from surgery, and Jane Hickson, as uh, she undergoes chemotherapy, uh, Bob Routon, so many other folks throughout the body who need a touch from you today. And Lord, we, we ask you to do that, Father. We, we thank you that you are the one who puts us back together. Um, you are our healer, Father. You're our physician. And we thank you that you do that emotionally. We thank you that you do that with all of life. We thank you that physically, when we need you, Lord, you touch us. And even through this message today, we want to step into wholeness and fullness of the Christian life. And um, so, Lord, we commit our ears, our minds, our hearts, everything that makes us who we are, we commit it to you. And God, we rejoice in this living word that changes everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. um, uh, Happy Thanksgiving almost. Um, Hopefully this message will help prepare your hearts for the big day. So I'm going to start off with a little story from my life from days and days ago, years ago in my life, and go back to college when I had a, a very interesting friend, um, very early in college, I made friends with this great big athlete, um, this guy who was, was just an incredible college athlete, uh, looked the part, six foot three, just like me. He was ripped with, no, ripped with muscles, very lean, and, um, you know, he, he was just an interesting guy, you know, real full of life. The guy's name was Taylor. And uh, Taylor, a few of us coaxed him, to, uh, coaxed him into coming to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is this great Christian kind of evangelistic ministry on campus. And so Taylor starts coming to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, has no idea what we're doing. 
with his worship, with his praying, all these people together excited about Jesus. And, and it, it didn't take long before Taylor got saved. Um, he, he met Jesus Christ. And the, the funny thing about Taylor was that he was one of these guys that before Jesus, he had done a whole lot of sinning. I mean, you look at him, he's like 18, 19 years old. And when he told me his testimony, I'm like, man, how did you pack that much sin into 18 years of your life? So, so for him, when, when, when Jesus met Taylor's darkness with his light, it just radically changed this guy. Taylor was on fire for Christ, and his favorite thing to do was then to share Jesus with all these people who were like he used to do. So, Taylor, he was just a natural uh, billboard for Jesus Christ everywhere he went. So, anyway, I graduate a year before Taylor. He graduates after me. We don't, we don't see him for years. And so, finally, about 10 years later, um, Jane and I got a call from him and his wife. They were going to be close to where we were, so we met them from dinner. And, and Taylor had gone on since college to, be a, to become a state trooper. And I loved the TV show Cops. So I was like, Taylor, you got to tell me some law enforcement stories. So Taylor tells me all these stories, and there's still one story that he told me, and this is like 15, 16 years ago. It still stands out because it was so unexpected and so strange. Now, here's the story. Taylor one night responded to a domestic dispute between a husband and a wife. And the domestic di dispute was very volatile. Um, this was a husband and a wife, and they were threatening to kill each other, and they had weapons in hand. So Taylor pulls up on this, and, and he realizes he could arrest them right on the spot. Okay, he should bust these two, run them right in. But out of nowhere, he gets a nudge from the Lord. So Taylor, Taylor says to them, he says, listen, I can arrest both of you right now for a whole lot of reasons, but we have a problem. And the problem is this, you two deeply love each other, but you've forgotten that. So here's what we're going to do. You're both going to tell me something that you love about the other person. And after that, if you still want to kill each other, I'll run you both in. And this couple is looking at each other like, what? This is the strangest police officer of all time, the strangest arrest of all time. So there's this awkward silence. And then finally, after a minute or two, the man says something that he cherishes about his wife. And then she responds and says something that she treasures about him. And they both fall into each other's arms, and Taylor drives away. What a wonderful and backward solution to a very serious problem. I've thought back on that story so many times when I think about the kingdom of God because that, that little story about that man and wife, it's such a great glimpse into the kingdom of God and the way God works. Have you ever realized, or have you ever thought this, that when it comes to us and God, God works in very backward ways to the way we think or the way we would respond? In fact, some theologians call this the backwardness of the kingdom of God. We all know that, of course, if anyone's backwards in this scenario, it's not God, it's us. But his ways are just not our ways. And, and, and so God will do the most outlandish, backwards things to us in all kinds of times, like, it, like in times of rarity or scarcity or famine. What do you see God doing over and over again? You see him being generous. You see God giving. 
In times where hate just seems to explode, over and over and over again, God will just pour in love. He'll infuse love into situations. Um, In the midst of life's fiercest storms, sometimes God will uh, still the storm, but every time God will bring peace in the midst of the storm, whether or not the storm stops or not. He's just into peace. In times of chaos, God offers us rest. In times of sorrow, mourning, what does God bring? Joy. And it's all very backwards to us, but it is just marvelous the way this God of ours works. Now, because we are His children, we are chips off the old block, guess what God calls us into? He calls us into the backwardness of His kingdom. He calls us to be like Him in all kinds of times. So, let me read you a passage that hits on this, and we'll talk about it. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, very familiar passage. Paul is writing, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, or even seen in me. Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I think for most of us, when we start off reading this passage, um, we're with Paul. I think, I think we're, we, we, we like how he comes out of the gate. Um, his first command here is uh, one that everybody goes yes to, this command to rejoice. Paul says rejoice. Steve Keller says yes. Why? Because rejoicing is fun. Rejoicing feels good, you know? Think about it. To be a part of a cheering crowd, right? Um, To be caught up in a big moment with other people. From two weeks ago in my sermon, to be like that eight-year-old boy making his first catch in a baseball game. You know, we love it, don't we? Rejoicing. The thrill of victory, elation, jubilation, delight, triumph. There is nothing burdensome about what Paul commands us to do. There's nothing problematic about rejoicing. Until you get out of microscope and you look at the passage a little bit closer and you see that Paul includes this one word in the middle of verse 4, and the word is always. If you're like me, you read this and you want to fire back at Paul and say, wait a minute, Paul, rejoice always? You mean like every day. In every circumstance in my life, every situation that happens, everything going on in this world, Paul, are are you telling us to rejoice when the unwelcomed comes, when the unwanted comes, the inconvenient happens to us, in tragedy, in hardship, in tough times, when I am completely misunderstood, when, when, when I'm maligned by people, mistreated? Paul, I'm all for maintaining a positive attitude. That's a great thing, right? But, but, but this is unrealistic. 
Paul, you got to get real. And then when you go into verse 5, and, and he adds this next thing, saying, and let your, your gentleness be evident to all people. Another seemingly impossible command. Paul, Paul again saying something that, you know, uh, you know, but by religious litmus test, man, it sounds wonderful, but, but it, it, it just doesn't work. Paul, are you telling me to extend kindness, sympathy, goodness, not only toward my Christian brothers and sisters, right, my family and my friends, that's, that's not always easy to do. I mean, most of the time it is because most of you guys are wonderful, but man, e- even with the people on my good side, this is a hard thing. But you're talking about my coworkers, my neighbors, my, my, my boss, the guy who voted the other way, the, the lady, yeah, I know, the lady who cut me off in traffic, right? To her, to people who make my life miserable, seriously, Paul, aim gentleness at every single one of them everywhere, all the time. Again, you know, it sounds real high-minded and sweet, but Paul, it's not realistic. You're asking the impossible. And again, the remedy here is a closer look. Because when we read verses 4 and 5, Paul did not just say rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. This is what Paul said. He said rejoice always. In the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. And that inclusion of God right in the midst of these impossibilities suddenly changes everything. Because what Paul is calling us to with this rejoicing, he's saying, look, I'm not telling you to rejoice in anything that's happening down here. I, I, I want your joy to be much higher than that. He's inviting our eyes, uh, uh, us to actually take our eyes off this life, off all the craziness, off all the headlines, and put it on the one, the Lord, who is life, who gives newness of life, who is all about eternal life. He's saying, look, look to the one who saves and heals, who rescues, who delivers, who brings life and life in the full, who has this heart of love, you take a look at him, and then no matter what's happening in your life, rejoice. Man, rejoice in the Lord, especially when it all falls apart. Rejoice in who he is. Rejoice in how he is. Rejoice in what he's up to. And Paul says, as you're doing that, bear something else in mind. Bear in mind that the Lord is near. The Lord is is your Emmanuel. In every moment of your life, He is God with us. He's near you in everything. You're never alone. You're never abandoned. You're never outside of His presence. And so when it comes to this greeting people with gentleness, what Paul is saying is, okay, so now you can greet people in this life differently. When it doesn't matter who's coming your way, what you get to do, because you're rejoicing in the Lord and because the Lord is near, now you can meet every single person in your life differently. We, we can relax judgment. We can relax offense. And we can literally take the gentleness and the heart of God and just give it right to them. We can give them the mercy and the grace of God. Why? He's right there. He's accessible. I think it's pretty good news. 
And because we rejoice in the Lord who is always near, this Emmanuel, this God who is with us, Paul goes on to say, there's no need to ever be frantic in this life as a believer. This whole thing of worry and and fear, because God is with you, there's never a reason to be trapped in that. You know, for every one of us as Christians, what has God done? He has redeemed the past. For every one of us looking down the road, well, what's God done with the future? He's promised the future. And when you add in here that God is present today, man, when it comes to something like prayer, we can be confident. We can be absolutely dependent in Him. We can seek His wisdom. We can get His perspective, His resources for life. And so when we read that and Paul says, hey, be anxious for nothing, we think, Paul, that's a tall order. No, in light of all this context, as we wrap it with God's presence, Paul is saying, look, as a child of God, there's no reason to be trapped in that place. Fear and worry, does it hit us sometimes? Yeah. So, you know, do we quake in our boots a little bit now and then? Yes, absolutely. But for the child of God, there's no need for anxiety because your God is right there. And the key to all of this, to holding on to this, to accessing all of this, it's a little word in verse 6 that we're going to hear a lot of this week, and it's a word called thanksgiving. Paul says, this word thanksgiving, a life of thanks, gratitude, you talk about something that will drive anxiety and fear and worry away from you. It's thanks. So what is thanks, really? Here's what it is. Thanksgiving is when we think back, when we recall and we remember what God has done. And folks, it changes absolutely everything for the child of God. We stop and we remember. Maybe we're despairing about life right now, okay? Ah, life's falling apart. We stop in that moment and we get a perspective on life. We think about how God has been with life, what God has done eternally when it comes to life. He's given us life. It's newness of life. It's an abundant life. You can look on the wall. Life in Him is a good, good life. We just recall those things. Stop, recall, and watch what happens to our heart. When people get us down, right? You know, we get frustrated with people sometimes. We stop and we remember a few things about the Lord and people. Number one, we remember there was a time in our lives when we were very unlovely, when we were unlovable, when we, like Taylor, my friend, we were wretched. But what did God do in our lives? He stepped in, and through Jesus Christ, he saved us. And some of these people that are a pain in the neck or any other body part, okay, that they're a pain in, we remember God's after them too. He seeks to save them, right? That's what God is after. I tell you, God will also remind you right here of the people that he has brought into your life that are good, the people that are a blessing, the fact that he brought them there, and man, they've made a world of difference in you. It's just thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for what you've done here. Sometimes we're tempted to make, you know, sometimes I I do this as a pastor. You know, something happens, I think, oh, Lord, I'm not going to make it through this situation. What do you do in a moment like that? You stop and you remember the thousand other situations that you felt the same way in times past. And you look at God's track record. 
Are you still here? Yes, I am. Lord, did you get me through that one? Yes, every time. God, you've never failed me before. And that's this thing of thanks. We just look at God's track record in our life, and as we begin to remember and see and recall what God has done, gratitude wells up. We, we, we give thanks and appreciation. I'll tell you this. When you begin to give thanks in the midst of something hard, it will change that situation immediately. And it'll certainly change you. I see, that, that, that's what Taylor did with that couple, you know? They were all cut up in anger. They were all ready to kill each other until Taylor did what? He had them stop and he had them remember their, their, the sweetness of their love in times past. And it changed their situation entirely. Love broke o- over that, that couple like a sunrise that night. Paul ends this section by getting very practical with, with us in verses 8 and 9. And he tells us exactly how to stay in the Lord, okay? Because that's a big thing here. How do we stay in the Lord? Paul goes on to say, look, if you want to stay in rejoicing for ourselves, uh, gentleness toward other people and thanksgiving to God, here's how you do it. He gives us a list. Paul says, instead of getting all caught up in the negativity of your times, okay, all the darkness, and we could fill that, the, the blank in, what is the darkness of our times all day long, whether it's economics, politics, the circumstances of our lives. Paul says, look, instead, instead of fixing your eyes on all that stuff, fix your eyes on this. Fix your minds on this. Think about what is true. Think about what is noble. Think about what is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Get into the habit of seeing that. Get in the habit of meditating how God has shown up in your life, the goodness of God on display all around you. You do that, and you better get ready for what God will bring into your life next. A little word, but a big concept called peace. Verses 7 and 9, Paul says, you dwell on the goodness of God, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. It will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I want you to see the visual here, okay? What will peace be like in your life as you dwell on all this? Peace will be like a bouncer, okay? And because most of you have never been to a bar, it'll be like a sentry, right? A guard at the door of your heart and your mind saying, look, darkness, fear, and worry, you can't come in here. You got to go somewhere else because this child of God is filled with God's peace, This child of God has God's perspective. you got to go somewhere else. Peace will guard you like that. Y'all, I'm telling you, these are pretty amazing promises right here. And I know we can hear all of this, you know, and we can say, well, you know, this is easy for Paul to say. You know, Paul is a spiritual superhero. You know, he's got his name in the book. I mean, he's probably on top of some lofty mountain. Uh, His life spiritually just, oh, it's perfect. Y'all, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. Paul is just about to go face a bloodthirsty court. I mean, his life is on trial. And yet here he is in these moments. He is thanking God. He is rejoicing in the Lord. This man has got peace guarding him, filling him. So I'm telling you, what an encouragement. 
After I wrote this sermon this week and after I got up out of bed, or sort of got out of bed, I, um, I, I really felt impacted by this passage, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And um, I said, Lord, you know, I, I try to practice what I preach always, but I really want to practice this. I don't want to just get up and, and just give something I wrote, Lord. I want to practice this. And so, so I started going through Paul's list. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to do exactly what he said. I'm going to think through things that are true and pure and lovely and noble. And so I just started going through all of these things in my life that the Lord had brought. And um, after a while, my thoughts settled on my 23-year-old son, Harrison. And um, I I thought about the man that Harrison's become. Um, One of the things I've said about him quite often is, I said, Lord, and and this I may have told you this once, Harrison, but I said, Lord, if I could have put together um, the ideal son, I I would have done this well. I mean, just there's goodness. There's just a lot of honor and integrity, his walk with Jesus. So I'm I'm just thinking about all of this, and then suddenly the Lord (laughs) reminded me of something I haven't thought of in 15 years. He reminded me of when Harrison was a little boy, he used to, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, what a servant. The Lord reminded me that um, when, uh, when Harrison was a little boy, he used to walk really, really close to me in public. And I mean like really close to me in public. And, and it annoyed me. It just annoyed me to no end and, and I don't know whether Harrison was insecure at the time. Um, I don't know if I just had some really wacky, you know, boundaries of personal space. But it, it, it didn't, really re- uh, didn't really matter what it was. But I do remember this. At that time, I had a deep, deep sense that I should not push him away. A deep sense. I also had a deep sense that I should never reprimand him or shame him, but I needed to let him walk close. Now, it didn't stop me from being annoyed, but I just, I knew, I knew in my heart, do not, do not push this, this kid away in any possible way. And that's actually the end of the story. The Lord spoke to me in that moment and he said, Steve, some of what Harrison has become is because in those days you let him walk close to you. Something very rich opened up in him because you did not push him away. Amen. And then the Lord said, Steve, it is exactly the same in the kingdom of God, but it's backwards. I am walking very close to you. And Steve, something very rich will open up in you if you do not push me away. That's the point. Believe it or not, that is exactly the point of Paul in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. I could have preached the whole thing in two minutes, but I didn't with that one story. But, y'all, that is Paul's point. This whole passage centers around that little tiny phrase, the Lord is near. The Lord is near to you. All Paul is saying throughout all Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is don't push him away. Don't push him away with a life of anxiety a life of worry. Don't be robbed of God's presence. Don't cave in to fear. Don't cave in to dismay. Instead, just step into everything He's called us to do. Thanksgiving week, right? Remember 
every good thing the Lord has done in your life. Look at the people around that table and rejoice in them. Think back in your life to all the things, even this last year, that might have failed. When you shook in your boots, but you prayed, and look at what the Lord did. Look at God's faithfulness in your life. Recall every lovely, excellent thing He has done. And as Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord. Again, rejoice. Again, rejoice. And be swallowed up being shrouded in his perfect peace. Is that a deal? Good. Let me pray for you. And I'm going to go sit down. Let's pray. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we as a congregation, Lord, we, uh, we would love to say that we have it all together. God, so often in a room like this, um, on a Sunday morning, we, we would even project on purpose that face, put up that mask that God, there's no worries here. But Lord, the truth is we all deal with fear, worry, dismay. Over this election, I've heard myself and I've heard Christians say things that God would be ashamed of if we, if we, we rewound it, of what would happen if the other one got in, in, into office. Lord, we've looked at our, our, our checkbooks at times and we've uttered statements of just absolute doubt. But Lord, today we just want to trade in, like we sang last week, we want to trade in fear. We want to trade in worry, anxiety. Lord, it doesn't work for us. It always fails us. It leads us into to darkness and dead ends. And today, God, we want to receive your joy. We want to rejoice in you, God. We, we want to walk with Paul here. We want to rejoice. We want to step into your love, your peace. God, we, we, we want to be people that are, are just always thankful, always grateful that when we walk the streets, people really do run into the, the kindness of God, just the gentleness, the sweetness of your spirit through us. And so, Lord, I, I thank you today for, for this man, Paul, who thought enough of us to make it so simple to know just what to do. So, Lord, we bless you. We thank you. And, Father, we really want to just, Lord, milk thanksgiving for all it's worth this, this week and this year, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's do something a little different. Stand up and receive a benediction. We don't do enough of this. You can lift up your hands if you want to, but just lift up your hearts and receive this. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Have a good week.